Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate. I'm your host, Joyce Strong. Rock Bottom is about things that happen in life to us. Many people hit rock bottoms. We are so self-absorbed at times when we're going through tough times. It's really hard to see that we're not the only one. In this episode of Rock Bottom Syndicate, my guest is Bill Dolan, and he's a great example of a man who's so accomplished in life with so many talents and um, the periods in his life where he's now looking back, recognized rock bottom in his childhood, in his relationship with his dad, in his um, dream job where he got fired. And then, (laughs) I hope it's not the... um, that this doesn't happen again, but he was on a plane and his heart stopped and he died. He was on the way to closing this really big deal on a, a huge project he was in that was really going to, you know, put that feather in his cap and get the checks coming in the mail. And he died and he had to have a turnaround from that. The good news is all of these things on the other side of the 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 rock bottom um, or underneath the rock, there was a, a gift. There was something there to be found. And it was scary and it was hard, but there was a gift. He discovered his love for video and um, the spoken word and the written word. He was able to land this amazing job. He was fired from his job and became an entrepreneur and start and started Spirit Media, and then from there, when he died, he came back and really revamped uh, the way without without a lot of effort because it he had a, a real spiritual um, experience through his death uh, that led him to changing the way he relates to people and sees people and the types of relationships he builds with them. Um, his his um, workers, his employees, his vendors, his family, his children, and even himself, where he's really learned to love himself and feel this intense love. I was just so thrilled to have Bill on today and hear his rock bottom story and hear that he, like you and me, is a person who goes through these things. Uh, He tells a beautiful story of uh, the life of a butterfly and, um, and the transitions that happen. And it's really a wonderful metaphor for uh, for my show, Rock Bottom Syndicate. So I hope that you enjoy this episode um, with Bill Dolan, uh, President and Creative Director for Spirit Media, and my friend. Enjoy Rock Bottom. Well, hi, Joyce. Well, hi, Bill. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Bottom Syndicate. It's so nice to have you here today to tell me the story of how you died. Well, shall I just take it from there and tell you how I died? You can take it however you like it. I see. I do see the big seven DRM behind you in this um, figure. I, I I just need you to tell me what those things are behind you. Oh, just so you know the context. Yeah. And it gives a little context for even my death because I work in television, in entertainment. I've been working in that field since I was 20 years old, actually. And uh, so what you see behind me is uh, to my right, 7DRM, which is uh, my, my new book, a book that I wrote that is a, a product of the things I've learned in television and entertainment and marketing, along with a very kind of a, uh, um, 
a tapestry of the very deep experience that completely altered my whole view of life and marketing and media, and that is when I died. Now, over my other shoulder is actually Iron Man, and it's not, <laughs> and he's there mostly because he's really cool. There is no big, fabulous metaphor behind him other than this. I was doing a show for a technology company, and the metaphor for having Iron Man was the idea that great cybersecurity companies really protect us from some of the greatest dangers that exist in our world, and that's cyber warfare and hackers and all those things. So I actually produced an entire show that's centered around um, – a characters from the company, along with a professional dance team and all the production goes with it, representing this cybersecurity arsenal. And uh, when the show was over, I got the suit. <laughs> so, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Very cool. Iron Man sits in here. It's probably hard to tell here in uh, my office or conference room. He's actually about six foot five. And the gentleman that we actually cast for that role was about six four. Yeah. So it's an ominous, it's an ominous, uh, but very fun figure. So. Well, very fun. I'm guaranteed my grandkids will watch this watch this episode. Oh yeah, I said we got Iron Man. Yeah. So this guy worked with Iron Man right there. That's all I need. Well, uh, let me. I'll give you a little background since I alluded obviously to the television background. I, mean, I started. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, where I am right now. And I was a son of a blue collar, hardworking family, only child. And um, uh, I went through a very interesting time. Part of that time was a result of the fact that my father was diagnosed with a disease that was supposed to kill him. And instead of killing him, uh, it really transformed him into, uh, I would say, a hideous monster. Yeah. He was in constant pain all the time. And it resulted in, in a very um, abusive environment. And uh, I would just kind of bury myself. I mean, I, I cried. I, I'd fight tears. I'd do everything that I could to try to keep out from away from this fa father that had turned into a monster. And I would spend time in my bedroom watching old movies. And I would be so consumed with, with movies. And I started to learn about storytelling and characters and uh, cinematography, I didn't realize how much it was rubbing off on me. Mm -hmm. So much so that by the time I got to high school and I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I find, found myself drawn to this area. And while I, I didn't think I was going to be a filmmaker per se, because I understood there's a difference between making movies and doing television, I was, I was attracted to the industry. And I thought, maybe I, I want to be a television reporter because uh, I was interested in journalism. I was one of the, also one of those weird kids that when you have electives, I would take the elective about diagramming sentences. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely did not have a real uh, close posse of people who shared that love with me. But I found the English language, uh, despite how I massacre it regularly, I found it fascinating. And... Um, so uh, we, because of my father's illness, we didn't have a lot of money. So I went to the local uh, regional community college mm -hmm. and started studying television production. And it was like, wow, the lights went on. And I fell in love with these uh, behind-the-scenes scenarios of what it meant to direct and produce television shows. Mm -hmm. And it actually turned out I had an aptitude for it. Well, by the time I was 20, 
I had an opportunity to um, go and actually step in a real TV station. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I can say that I was both excited and terrified. Yeah. And uh, um, to meet a real producer and walk in a real TV station. So as it turned out, I, I walked in the TV station that night and it wasn't just me. Instead, I had uh, another guest from my class who was someone who had graduated with a GI Bill. So he was tall and handsome and poised and articulate and older and mature. And, and then the other guy that was with me was like the class, and I say this respectfully, he was like the class nerd. He was the one that knew every serial number, you know, well, that's the XY 3300, you know, and all that. And I, I was like, I am like so messed up. But that night, I remember on the advice of my, my mother, she said, Billy, why don't you just be yourself? And so I, um, I thought, what do I do? How can I make an impression? And I remembered a story of Famous Amos. Have you ever heard of Famous Amos chocolate chip cookies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I decided to make a batch of cookies. And I'm really good at making cookies, by the way. And I brought the cookies in. And so after my buddy impressed him with his poise, my other buddy impressed him with his brilliance and technical knowledge, I, I just in my quiet humility said, hi, my name's Bill. Would you like a cookie? <laughs> yeah. And they ended up taking the cookie. They liked the cookie. At the end of the show, I was out of cookies. And they said, would you come back next week? And I came back next week and I came back next week. And that's what landed me at age 20, the job that ultimately helped me become one of the youngest major market directors in the country. Now, that was fabulous. And, uh, and I was like living my dream. Mm -hmm. And I married my high school sweetheart, met her when she was 14. And she's now the, the mother of our five children. Mm -hmm. And um, things were plugging along really well until we realized we want to make some extra money. And I started kind of working on the side. We're really what turned into my agency now. But I pushed myself really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And really at the peak of where I thought we had it all, I really was exhausted. And in the moment of weakness, at, at what could have been the turning point of a 12-year career in television, um, I got upset with a fellow employee and got physical with him. And uh, I was threatened with assault and battery and I got fired from my dream job. Mm. And um, I remember coming home to my wife um, just humbled at the prospect that of everything I had worked for and everything I had tried to do in my reputation and everything in terms of security and hope I had for my family I lost it um, in about 60 seconds mm -hmm. of anger with a fellow employee, mm -hmm. um, which launched me into entrepreneurship. <laughs> now, I could say that even though I had the side business, there's no way I was like Mr. Mr. Business Guy. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, I was joking with, I work with a really a lot of smart business people today. And I was joking that when I actually started my business, Really, the only thing I knew about business was charge more than it costs you. And that's, uh, what do you call that? Oh, profit. Okay. <laughs> so I started that. And you know what was amazing is that kind of in my both desperation 
and the fact that I had really developed a great reputation as an artist and a director, my business exploded. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, well, never had that happened had I not been fired. I mean, the worst thing that I thought could happen in my career turned out to be the very best thing that ever happened in my career. And we continue to grow. And I think, you know, you, you and I've talked, you know, from my bio that working both in television and events entertainment, it opened up doors for me to work with some of the greatest companies in the world. I mean, the Nikes of the world and the Adidas's of the world allowed me to work with some of the great leaders of the world. I mean, working side by side uh, with uh, President Clinton in his home. And, uh, and then um, uh, it wasn't political, you know, in case anybody's like, you know, he's kind of like a double-edged sword, that's for sure. There was another nature of that project. And then, and then um, working with great artists. I mean, directing shows with the Black Eyed Peas and Gwen Stefani and Maroons to Five and, and um, uh, Leanne Rubs. I, I mean, easily, I mean, hundreds of different companies and artists. Um, things were going really well for me. So much so that I had the resources to develop a documentary project. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is it. I do the documentary project. And not only am I going to kind of elevate my work as an artist and start working around things that are more deep and meaningful, but I was going to get what they call mailbox money. <laughs> you know, that mailbox money when you produce something and residuals just pour in your mailbox. And, you know, you, you go out in your bathrobe and collect your check and go back in and, uh, you know, <laughs> what, whatever the goofy fantasy is. And, uh, but at the very least, I might be able to spend more time with my family mm-hmm. because I had developed a career that meant I'd kind of turned into an absentee dad, an absentee uh, husband. Because mm. I was gone all the time. It's tough and with I, five kids. Pardon? It's tough with five kids, right? You know, it's just tough with one kid. Sure. We always have to, we have to make decisions. Our actions ultimately speak to how we value that relationship. And proximity is a critical ingredient of deep relationships. And uh, I thought that delivering the check was a signal of my relationship. I thought showing up for just the right games and the family things was an indication of relationship. I thought keeping a roof over our head and food in their mouths was an indication. And they are. They're, They're indications of duty. Mm-hmm. And they're indications of responsibility, but nothing can replace looking deeply into the eyes of the people that you love mm-hmm. and listening to them and hearing their heart and letting them to know that you care mm-hmm. and you're there and they matter. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized I didn't give that to them. I really didn't. Um, I had bought in and had been modeled this kind of, you know, I say this, you know, respectfully. I mean, there there was a generation of very much kind of macho ash, macho relationship dad figures, you know, that you know might show up and do all the cool things and rah rah rah. But man, really wasn't emotionally intelligent with their family because they weren't emotionally intelligent with themselves. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what they were really feeling because they were afraid to feel it. They they didn't want to say that they were afraid because that would make you vulnerable. Uh, and they didn't want to get too close because that's how people get hurt. Mm-hmm. So 
there's a whole bunch of those little things that I bought into and um, and I wasn't expected to get a crash course in that really. <laughs> so after finishing the documentary, I was very fortunate to have a distributor line up with me and say, we're going to distribute your product, which is like in some ways, I don't want to say the holy grail, but it's big because most people in our industry celebrate when you finish the product. But the product is nothing unless you have distribution, unless you have eyes and an audience that sees it and can appreciate it and benefit from your work. You know, so I knew distribution was important. So when we got this call from Nashville saying we want to distribute your product, just get down here, sign the paper, and we have a, an advance check for you. Wow, advance check. I'm on my way to Nashville. And I was flying with my best buddy, Timothy Greenidge, who is one of the absolute incredible best gospel singers in the world and also an audio engineer. And he had other business there in Nashville. And so we hop on the plane. And that's around the time I was probably flying at least once every week, every couple of weeks, sometimes twice a week. It, I mean, it varied, but I was on a plane a lot. How old were you then, Bill? 39. Yeah. 39 years old. The baby. You know, not just a baby. <laughs> and so here, here I got on this plane and something felt wrong. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I remember um, sitting there and thinking, am I sick? Am I going to feel sick? No, no, I'm not sick. No, there's no way I'm going to feel sick. No, 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 no. And you know, there's some, you're playing this denial game in your head. Mm. And um, I started sitting really, really still. But my eyes started to fixate on that, that front pouch in front of me where the bag, you know, the yeah. bag. <laughs> I'm looking at the bag. Oh, no, not the bag. Not the bag. <laughs> and it got so bad. It felt like things were just closing in. They're closing in on me. And I finally turned to Tim. I said, Tim, something's not right. And that's the last thing I said. And my eyes just rolled back in my head. My arms flopped by my side. And my heart stopped. Now, at first, Tim thought I was joking because sometimes I joke. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old dead guy in a plane joke kind of thing, which I had never done before and would never do now. But he realized very quickly this wasn't a joke. And he didn't know formal CPR, but he... He did know about chest compressions. So he began like beating me in the chest and I guess working me over on the chest. And, and when that didn't seem to work, he pulled me from the seat and put me in the middle of the aisle and started doing um, I just chest compressions. He worked on me. He thinks now nah, maybe about three-ish minutes, something like that. It's hard to tell. You know, time seems to stop a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And he said he was just on the verge of um, – like punching me so hard that he was going to break my ribs. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I was, I was reeling back, just get ready to do it. And he took a breath and they helped me up. I mean, long story short, we did make an emergency landing. We landed in the beautiful city of Rapid City, South Dakota, which is a very uh, lovely community, but not a large medical facility. They did meet me with ambulance and ran me to the facility. And um, oddly enough, they could not find anything wrong with me. 
I had no signs of a heart attack, no signs of any trauma whatsoever other than I was dehydrated. And I was really dehydrated. Yeah. Um, and they released me. Long story short, I ended up in the cardiac wing in Portland, Oregon, where they did a, a, a tilt table test. And during the tilt table test, I flatlined. Wow. That's when they knew I had it. And I was diagnosed with malignant neurocardiogenic syncope. With bottom line, malignant means you can die from it. Uh, neuro's brain, cardio's heart, and mm-hmm. syncope means out of sync. Mm-hmm. And kind of like an adult sits in a way that the, the 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 things are not talking right. And I have such an extreme case of it that um, my brain actually tells my heart to stop, mm-hmm. and then no blood gets to the brain, and I die. Um, they don't know what causes it, but uh, they do know that uh, they can prevent it from happening by giving you a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. And so I was implanted with a pacemaker. I have one right there in my chest. It makes that little tinny sound. And um, uh, it intervenes in my heart about six times a day. So six times a day, my heart rate drops to a dangerous level. So if any time during while we're recording here, if you see me just flop over, give it a few seconds, I'll be back. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One time, one time I, uh, with my father-in-law, you know, I was explaining, I was doing something with him and I can't remember, uh, we were parked at an intersection and I slipped the car into park and I let my head go down and hit the steering, the steering wheel column where the horn was just, uh, um, I don't do that anymore. You can give someone else a heart attack. <laughs> wow. But this, this it is, I can, I can look at it and laugh on it. And a lot of times tragedies, we just go, Oh my gosh, it's horrible. But this is what I want you know, share with you, Joyce, and share with everybody listening. It was one, if not the best thing that's ever happened to me ever in my life. And there's a few things that come from it. I mean, number one was I had a very profound spiritual encounter, mm-hmm. very profound. Um, and so while Tim was looking over my body for what appeared to be about three minutes, for all practical purposes, I feel like I could have been gone for 3 million years wow. because I, I crossed the threshold of eternity. And I, I went into a dimension where everything that has happened and everything that ever will happen has happened. And all the things that I grew up or, or perceptions I had about faith or God literally blew up. Um, any type of box I've tried to put the divine in was completely obliterated and I came away um, knowing not the idea of being judged or being a failure but being so intensely loved so so intensely loved um, there's a lot there and I, I I go into it a little bit in my book simply because when I came back from that experience one I recognized how much our, our life is a gift. Mm-hmm. And it went something I think we take for granted every day. I mean, we get up, I mean, even as we're sitting here, we go, <sighs> we always think we're breathing for goodness sakes. Yeah. We're talking, we're sharing, we're laughing. 
And what a precious gift that is. Yes. It's like a crazy precious gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We very much take it for granted. And here we have this precious gift. And, and I realized that precious gift wasn't just for me. It was for me to be able to share it with the world. Mm-hmm. And as much as I recognize how in love, uh, how much I was loved, that it gave me the capacity to love others, to love myself, which is like a breakthrough. Because I was like ultra self-critical. In fact, one of my, my biggest critics, um, the one person that has probably said the most hideous things about me in my life was me. Mm-hmm. And I bought into all the crap that I said about myself because I modeled um, behaviors that I saw others do to me when I was younger that I now know. You know, I can't change how I grew up, but I can change how I think today. Yeah. And, um, and I recognize that I was my adult abuser. Mm-hmm. And it taught me to love myself, and it gave me such freedom to love others. Um, in that, that recognition that I'm really like living every day, and all of us are, a resurrected life. A life with every breath is like a new beginning. Um, so it did, it changed how I approached people. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think about loving instead of having transactions. How could I, when I do business with people, how can I aspire to transformation instead of transaction? How could I aspire to delight and help them realize the level of outcomes that they might otherwise experience? How can I serve them? with a spirit of real love and caring and honoring and respecting. And Oh, by the way, the same way that I sense a presence of like 360 degree love, how can I do it with my team, my employees, my vendors, my partners? And then, Oh, not last or, and certainly not least my kids, mm-hmm. my family, my wife. And we start thinking and living that way. It's transformed me, completely transformed. I mean, I'm still in process, still in process, absorbing it. But I would not have had the career I had without the death of my career through my being fired. Mm -hmm. And I would not have the life I have without my physical death that I have today. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, going the theme of your show, in fact, we said before before we got on that um, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the stars get a lot brighter yeah. if you pay attention. Yeah. Some people say that that these lessons will keep appearing if there's if there's something you still need to learn. And um, often I hear when people start to tell me they're rock bottom that it wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they come in sequence. <laughs> in fact, you know, when we want it gives me, I think, a high degree of empathy or a higher degree of empathy, let's say, is recognizing that all of us at any given moment are either on the verge of a tragedy, in the middle of some tragedy, or just coming out of some tragedy. You know, at a different level, it could be financial, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, you know, it could be your career, it could be 
any one of many things that we value. Mm-hmm. And um, for that reason, um, being able to just love people, really love people. Cause I, they don't, we tend to take all of the stuff that's going on in our life and like we hide them behind a veil mm-hmm. as if once I tell you how much crap I'm going through, you're going to judge me. And guess what? There are going to be jerks that are going to judge you. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. There are going to be people that they're in their own point of tragedy, that judging you somehow feeds them or makes them feel better, or maybe they're struggling, or maybe that's what they were taught mm-hmm. uh, by an abusive relationship. Don't know. Um, so expect that there's going to be some, some stuff that hits the fan and, and flies off and hits you. That's okay. Yeah. But be vulnerable. Be honest. Share. Because when we um, can talk about our tragedies, um, it gives us also a way to talk about the path to healing together. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really what, what got me started with the Rock Bottom Syndicate was really coming out of my own self-absorption and realizing, oh, my God, everyone goes through this. And something you just said brought me back to, I think it was a somebody teaching a class when I was studying coaching and how to be a coach. Mm-hmm. And he said, write this down um, on your calendar, mark out six weeks from now and just write these words, something happened. And I was like, this is nonsense. But I did it because it was the class. And that's when I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. In that six weeks. And so you wow. just, things happen all the time and we, you know, we push past it. We, you know, sometimes there are bigger things than others, but just what you just said, tra- we're, we're someplace in that cycle of things happening, which is life. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. You know, uh, and even if you, if you haven't hit your rock bottom yet, um, chances are, you will. Yeah. It is a cycle of life. And sometimes our rock bottom is just experiencing life the way it's intended. You know, um, I, I can't remember if I've vlogged about it on LinkedIn before. I might have, you know, but I am so inspired by the story of the butterfly. You know, the butterfly is always this metaphor for resurrection and life and flight and becoming, you know. So, and, and I got so fascinated about it. I, I actually got a documentary and started reading a book on what really happens. What is this beautiful journey of the butterfly? And it's not so beautiful at all. It really isn't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny because, you know, they start out as caterpillars. And I think a lot of us can relate to caterpillars. You know, you're low to the ground, you're busy eating, uh, sometimes you're considered a pest, you know, but you do what you can to get by. And the truth is, caterpillars, for their existence, they spend the majority of their energy consuming uh, calories and food. Mm-hmm. And they consume, they consume, they consume, they consume. The reason they consume is because of the journey they're going to have in this transformation of the butterfly. So once they've gone through the season of preparation, then it goes into going into the cocoon, okay? And once you go into the cocoon, three things happen. Three critical things happen. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the first thing that happens is this caterpillar that's developed this incredible digestive system with these intense digestive juices capable of taking leaves and turning it into energy and all that stuff, those digestive juices actually start turning on itself. And it begins consuming and destroying things it doesn't need anymore. Even some of the things that that caterpillar leaned on, that was a part of its identity, that you knew this was a caterpillar because of this, is now being dissolved and ripped away from that caterpillar. The next thing that happens is that the parts of the organs need to be able to shift and transform from a uh, a low-level horizontal creature to more of a vertical structure that is leaner and stronger and more lightweight. So the organs, central pieces of it, literally transform um, inside of itself. But the third element, and that's the magic part we all love, is it starts to develop something it's never, ever had before, and that's wings. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the lives that we experience, I mean, one of the issues that could be a really tragedy for people is walking in the fulfillment of your destiny that you're supposed to fly. You're supposed to transform into something beautiful and powerful and meaningful. But you know what? It's going to mean stripping away and dissolving things that you used to hold dear that you have to let go of. Mm-hmm. It means you're going to have to experience some form of transformation of things that you already have that are going to change, and change is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to get used to the idea you're going to have new gifts, new gifts that could even scare you, mm-hmm. new gifts that if you have a, a fear of heights, guess what? You're going to get over it because the heights is where you're going to go. Yeah. But, and here's the big but, unlike caterpillars, we don't have cocoons to hide in during the process. Mm-hmm. We have to share this hideous process in full view of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Every morning we get up in the mirror and I'm sure there's times you look and you feel like I am a mess, but you're a beautiful mess in transformation. And, and if one, we can give ourselves grace, maybe, and this is my hope, we can give each other grace Mm. in that growth in whatever tragedy, whatever transformation we're experiencing, but know that something beautiful, something beautiful is on the other side. Well, that is really beautiful. And I'm imagining, too, just the struggle that, that the creature goes through, you know, to fight its way out of the, the cocoon. So yeah. it's a rock bottom at the moment, but, yeah. It's near death. Yeah. It really is. It's so, it so aligns. With, I just, that's why I love the theme of your show, because there's a whole bunch of rock bottoms in there. Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch of rock bottoms. I've never heard it told quite like that, though. That was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to go on mm-hmm. and talk to you all evening, and I know you would let me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe we can wrap up here just for the um, for the convenience of our guests that they have a beginning and an end of the show today and our uh, our viewers. And they can always come back. We can do this again and talk some more. Mm-hmm. We would. I'd love to. Yeah. And if anybody, I mean, if anybody's fascinated about, I'd say, the rest of the story, 
Um, I do talk about it in my book. Yeah. And the 7DRM book. I mean, it's it's both a spiritual journey, um, a heart journey, and it's a business journey. Yeah. Um, of how we treat people and and really discovering what I believe was the greatest marketing plan in the history of mankind and what that looks like to live that out. <clears throat> and so, and I, yeah, I go a little deeper in there. I try not to make it this kind of whole spiritual book, but you can't hide from the fact that something profound happened. And I think no matter where you are, wherever your rock bottom is, um, that all of us uh, have a profound journey to make. And as someone once told me, um, your mess uh, can become your message. Yeah. And that certainly was, certainly was my case. Well, I got your book and I've read it. I have the audible version, which I really was excited when I heard that you're reading it because you have a great voice and it's so nice to hear, hear you tell the story. And it is oh, thanks. in that element of a story as well. So it just, it's just, I've read it more than once just going through it and like, ah, oh, there's another gem in, in capturing those little, little nuggets. So. Oh, thanks, Joyce. Yeah. I appreciate it. And that's that. in the show notes, too. So if people need um, to go back and look there, and um, I'll post it on social media as well, but it's in our show notes. So. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you very much. And thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thanks. It's a, it's my my pleasure. You know, you when you said at the beginning how you found what you like, and it just, like, you know, it was just like, oh, this is me. And um, I've always recognized when you're, when something like strikes a chord with your aptitude, with something that's in you. Um, yeah. It's one of the few lessons I learned from my dad. He's like, be who you are. And when you said that, I was like, yes, I can make <laughs> cookies, <laughs> you know, be who you are. And um, I was, I, in fact, I wrote about that on a Counting Crows song. It's like uh, the, the song, Mr. Jones, when he says, everybody um, wants to be a little more funky. And I'm like, yeah, funky just meaning, you know, your true self, like idiosyncrasies and all. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's great. Funkiness. I love your Iron Man. <laughs> and also. Yeah, I'll bring him out, you know. And the good news is he was, he was, he was kind during this episode. So, yeah, it's when he moves, it gets creepy. Oh, yeah? He moves? Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. So, well, Bill, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go so you can get on Thanks, with your, your day. And I really appreciate you being here. So thank okay. you. Take care, Joyce. Yeah, thank you.